0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, as Parliament resumes, the crisis in Ukraine remains one of the government's top priorities.
1: I think it's great what uh, the government's doing in, con- in connection with all the other uh, NATO uh, partners and other countries. Somehow, we've got to stop this.
0: The Prime Minister prepares for a special NATO summit later this week.
1: To further talk about the decisions we take as an alliance as to how to best support Ukraine and protect uh, the lives uh, of people in Ukraine and around the world.
0: And two more names join the conservative leadership race.
1: Solving the challenges of our time requires more than politics as usual. More partisan bickering is simply not the answer. Solving problems, requires real leadership i've been in parliament now two terms and i am dismayed by the energy wasted on political games instead of
0: getting things done. it's monday march 21st i'm mark sutcliffe let's get right to the top political stories this morning i'm joined by peter van dusen cpac's executive producer and the host of primetime politics good morning peter morning mark as a new week begins, let's talk about the government's priorities and what the focus will be in and around Parliament Hill over the next few days. We have a federal budget approaching and, of course, we continue to have a crisis in Ukraine um, and and increasing pressure on Canada and other countries to do something about it, including potentially spending more money on defense. So. How how do you see some of these issues being framed as as this budget approaches and and also uh, an important meeting for the prime minister a special NATO summit coming up later this week?
1: Yeah, I think the two things to watch that you know has you know Parliament's back in session, Mark, after a, a two week break. Uh, they they came back uh, for that one day. Uh, our listeners will remember to hear uh, you know President Zelensky from uh, Ukraine address Parliament, uh, but they've been away for a couple of weeks, so they come back. We're expecting a budget uh, before the end of April, uh, in all likelihood, I think, probably the first week of April is the uh, the time to circle on your calendar for when that budget's gonna uh, come before Canadians. Although, you know, circumstances that we are seeing now, uh, you know, could make a case for pushing it off a little bit because there's so much uncertainty. So the prime minister's off to NATO on Thursday for the special emergency NATO summit of, of leaders where Ukraine's on the agenda. And already uh, it's been clearly, you know, telegraphed what's going to dominate that agenda and what's going to dominate that agenda. Really a couple of things. What more should NATO be doing to, uh, you know, help Ukraine? And it's probably at this point, given leaders are not interested in in going the no-fly uh, no zone route, uh, that it'll be how to step up uh, shipments of arms and lethal weaponry uh to help ukraine defend itself which again will put the spotlight on canada because we have pretty much exhausted everything we can send uh to ukraine that we have to send because of you know underfunding of the military budget over the years so there's going to be a lot of focus on nato countries you know um upping their spending on uh, on on the military side uh, to two percent of gdp canada's at about 1.4 now Uh, Other countries that we haven't seen before in recent memory, uh, jacking up their spending, Germany, for instance, uh, after essentially downing tools on the military side for several decades, is now saying, you know, the threat from Russia and the the, the uncertain world requires them to boost their spending. The same message is going to be given to Canada. It's time to boost that spending. It's time to get military spending in this country up because the war in Ukraine, uh, although Canada is not directly involved beyond training and sending weaponry has demonstrated just how ill-prepared Canada is uh, uh, to contribute or, God forbid, to participate in this kind of a uh, crisis situation.
0: And I know there are people who have been making that argument for a long time already, and and I don't think anybody anticipated it would be this government, a a Justin Trudeau government, that would start spending more on defense. But... Here we are. Uh, Is there room to do that? I know how that that percentage gets calculated, the percentage of GDP can include a lot of different things, including spending that's spread out over a long period of time. So it doesn't all have to happen immediately. But but what does that look like, do you think, and how does that play into the budget?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, number one, I think, is there has to be a a clear commitment and and a path forward, that the government will have to identify. And we've been hearing it from a number of different ministers, the finance minister, the defence minister, the foreign affairs minister, saying, you know, Canada needs to be doing more and, and entertaining uh, openly questions of, of uh, pushing up the, the defence spending uh, budget. I think the, the defence minister has suggested she's got sort of three scenarios she's presenting to the finance minister. Um, and you know, I guess one of them includes no more money, but the other the other two include... Increase spending. So there's, uh, I mean, as soon as the government makes that commitment that yeah, this is the time we have to spend, then uh, I think we'll we'll hear all of the experts and 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 the people who want to weigh in saying you know where, where's the best place for Canada to spend it and in what and in what way. This all happens, Mark, as the government's got a whole lot of uh, you know competing priorities here i mean uh, just a few months ago was looking at a post pandemic budget how to you know kick start the economy really the the big significant challenge in front of the government was the cost of living uh, housing prices and inflation and it was uh, going to have a budget plan to tackle that and to make things more affordable canadians for canadians now it's got to deal with uh, those things yes but it also has to deal with uh, this the crisis in Ukraine and, 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 the, and the consequences of that for Canada, including increased military spending. So there are going to be some tough choices for the finance minister, and there's going to be a large debate in the country about, uh, you know, what, you know, where Canada should be spending any additional monies that it has. And it's it's clearly that although the opportunity would be there to uh, bring down the deficit and put money against the debt, It's more likely to be uh, another uh, spending budget, uh, even though the government's now making uh, essentially a a windfall because of the jump in oil prices. But where's the money going to go? What priorities is the government going to pick? Some of the experts are suggesting, uh, given what we are watching unfold in Ukraine, there's never been a a better time in the last couple of decades uh, for uh, for our government uh, to be able to sell the canadian people on the need to ramp up military spending
0: yeah all right lots to watch on that front um and the conservative leadership race i'm sure will be discussed a lot this week uh there are two new entrants into the race we we knew about one of them uh late last week scott Aitchison there's another who made it clear he's running on the weekend um uh, how do you see all of this shaping up? the 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 latest names to be surfaced are not, I don't think, perceived as front runners, but they could have an impact on the direction this race takes. And I think they're both people who uh, are part of the narrative that that we're seeing over and over again that this is really about the future of the party and and the tone and direction it's going to take.
1: Yeah. So Scott Aitchison, you know, from uh, you know, in Muskoka area, Parry Sound Muskoka, Tony Clement's old seat. In Parliament. Um, uh, former mayor of Huntsville, he, he got in the race on Sunday. And Mark Dalton from British Columbia uh, is also in the race on, on a basically you know, making largely a single point in his launch. He wants a, a, a public inquiry into the government's handling of the pandemic. Um, so th- that's what's driving his candidacy. Scott Aitchison a little different. Uh, he He's really hammering the whole notion of, of unity, not just unity in the party, but unity in the country. He he made a, a speech in the House of Commons a few weeks ago, Mark, where he basically called on all sides because of the kind of conversation we've had in the country around pandemic restrictions and vaccine mandates to uh, to really sort of think about the, the power of words, the, the power of, of what, you know, politicians have been saying, uh, which has been um, causing a lot of division in the country and suggesting that there's enough blame to go around on all sides, including in his own party. And, you know, a lot of people will see that as a, a not-so-thinly-veiled shot at, at Pierre Polyev uh, to stop with uh, stop with the partisan attacks and start uh, talking about what's best, uh, best for Canada, um, you, you know, and, and leaving aside a lot of the, the, the political rhetoric. And I think what's important about that is, can Scott Aitchison win a, a leadership race? I, I guess we'll see. He does, doesn't have the profile of either a Patrick Brown and, or a Jean Charest, but he's coming from Central Canada, uh, just as Mr. Poliev is, but he's coming from Central Canada with a, with a bit of a, a different message. But as long as there are all a number of different voices in the race talking about unity and, and talking about the need to... Uh, you know, uh, take a different approach to politics. Uh, they can influence the conversation. Think of all the, the debates there there are going to be, uh, the way how how the coverage is going to wrap up towards, you know, the uh, the September vote when they when they pick a new leader. So, uh, and we've seen that in past races. We've seen you know, the messaging from Leslyn Lewis in in the last race. You don't always have to be the person who wins to be the person who uh, has a, a lot of say in what the party talks about during the leadership process.
0: That's a great point. All right, it's going to be another interesting week as Parliament resumes. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: All right, Mark, take care. We'll
0: talk again soon. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen.
1: This is a, a, an extraordinarily difficult issue because we see the, the impact of the bombs and the cruise missiles falling on hospitals, on schools, on Ukrainian civilians.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At Policy Options, Bob Ray argues, this is a defining moment for the United Nations. Ray writes, Vladimir Putin's decision to escalate his illegal war against Ukraine raises the most fundamental questions about the nature of the world order and will force a major reassessment by every country in the world about how global governance and the enforcement of international law should work in the 21st century. There is no overstating the seriousness of the moment. No conflict so clearly reveals this era's unprecedented challenges to the institutional structures we thought would keep us from the brink of existential conflict. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears asks, What will happen after Putin is defeated? Sears writes, We face the question of how to rebuild a global security alliance when one powerful player has made it clear it has no intention of being bound by any security agreements, and another, China, has signaled it is a happy co-conspirator in a lawless international order. The West must ensure Russia pays heavily for its war crimes. Then we need to reimagine the global security alliances that were created after the last upheaval— Russia's seizure of much of Eastern Europe after the Second World War. In the London Free Press, Maris Roe McCulloch considers the plight of Ukrainian civilians. Roe McCulloch writes, Almost three million Ukrainians have already been forced to flee, but evacuations are increasingly complicated. The apparent unwillingness of Russian troops to pause their attacks suggests avoiding civilian casualties is not a priority. Looking at past experiences of warfare reinforces the urgency of creating and maintaining options for civilian evacuation wherever possible. But those experiences also suggest civilians are increasingly likely to bear the brunt of the growing frustration of Russian troops as the conflict stretches on. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Joly will take part in a breakfast dialogue at the Montreal Council on Foreign Relations to discuss Canada's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Minister of Official Languages Jeanette Petipa-Taylor will take part in a news conference along with Treasury Board President Mona Forche. The Senate Committee on Official Languages will hear from Minister Petipa-Taylor as part of its study on the application of the Official Languages Act. And Governor-General Mary Simon will continue her visit to the Middle East. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March 21st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.